Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, welcome back to the continuation of my story. There won't be a whole lot of announcements this week because I'm trying to get through this part of my story with the least amount of episodes because it's long. But we're going to continue my story uh, mostly on spiritual abuse in the church that we were part of in New Jersey and couple of really strange things that happened and some not so great things happened. So we're going to jump back here into the story of the church in New Jersey. If you haven't listened to the last episode, be sure to go back and listen. I'm not sure at this point if it's going to be two episodes or three episodes. We'll see how long I talk. There's a lot going on in this church, so... So I'm just going to jump in where we left off before. So the other thing I had to nip in the bud was choir director would get a piece of sheet music and photocopy it for the choir instead of purchasing enough copies for the choir. And again, we didn't have very many people. And I told him it was a copyright violation and you really don't want to do that. Or what's wrong with photocopying it? Say, so, well, because it's illegal, they are cracking down and fining these churches who purchase one copy of music and photocopy it for the rest of the choir. It takes money out of their pocket. And him and I just, I wouldn't say argued because I was educated on that particular topic and he was not. And so he said, well, we have a budget that we have to keep. I said, I understand that, but you can purchase perhaps maybe a book of songs. You can get 10 copies of that book of songs of special music and we can learn all of those songs. It would save money because we could reuse the book and we'd have special music and we wouldn't be violating any copyrights. So because we talked it over with the pastor and he agreed. Yeah, we don't want to break any rules or any laws or get fined. So he agreed that we should purchase like choral books or, you know, those handbooks that have a lot of songs in them. Like the Wilds has a collection of really nice songs or Majesty Music had a handbook that had new songs in it. So very common in churches, especially small ones. So speaking of music, Danny was a record producer in his hometown before we met, and he had a lot of recording equipment. And so one of the rooms in our home, we set up to be a recording studio. Now there was plaster on the walls. So we put, you know, that egg carton foam stuff. There was a store, I have to say, as a side note, living in that town was very cheap. I think maybe the economy was really good, but they had, they didn't have 99 cent stores, but they had like general stores that were five and dime stores that were really cheap. So we went to the store and we bought like a whole bunch of, you know, those egg crate mattress foam thingies you put on your bed. And we stapled them to the walls <laughs> with cardboard behind them. Uh, the landlord wasn't very happy about that, but we assured him that we would return the room to its former splendor when we moved out, if we did. So we put egg crate foam all around the room. There was carpet on the floor, curtains on the windows. That was the best we could do. And he put all of his recording equipment in there. Um, and he would ask me, what do you want for Christmas? And I would say... I would like my album to be recorded, the one that you keep saying that I should do. And he would do everybody else's album, but while we were there, he didn't do mine. And I had called up some of my friends and down in college who were piano players to record some 
music tracks for me so I could sing some new songs at church without Phyllis playing the piano because she didn't know the songs. And so that was, that was crazy. So I, I had my piano friends record some Keith Green songs, like There's a Redeemer or Rushing Wind or Make My Life a Prayer to You. So I could sing special music with those tracks. And the pastor was not really thrilled about using tracks. Most of the tracks you purchase in the store had drums and guitar in them, so he never would allow that. But I convinced him to let me use the tracks that I had somebody create because they were just piano. So he was okay with that. He let me use piano-only tracks. And funny thing is, Keith Green was a contemporary Christian singer in the day. He's gone now, but He's considered Christian rock, and they would never let me sing Christian rock. But see, they didn't know who Keith Green was. At least the pastor didn't. I don't think anybody in the congregation knew who Keith Green was, but I made sure that I sang those songs with a non-contemporary flavor. What does that mean? Well, and you you can hear this on a recording. I have one of the songs rushing when I recorded one of those songs on my album. It's on my website. You can listen to it. Instead of singing it in a rock style or contemporary style, I sang it like a opera singer or a classical style. Danny used to call it sterilizing the music, which pretty much that's what it was, is I would take any semblance of quote-unquote, worldliness out of it, sing it in more of a classical style, more of a majesty music style. So it would be acceptable by the church. I got away with it <laughs> until one day. This is when I didn't get away with it. This was when my cover was blown. We had a missions conference at a sister church. And so a bunch of churches in the area got together and we had a missions conference. And the pastor asked me if I would sing special music during the conference. Of course, I've done that before in other churches. And yeah, sure. He always left the song up to me to pick and he trusted me. So I wanted to do Here Am I, Send Me. I mean, how... How can you get any better than here my send me for a missions conference, right? So the piano player was going to be somebody from another church, which that was fine. I think her name was Jennifer. So Jennifer invited me over to her house to practice the song that I had chosen, here my send me. And she was a pretty good piano player. But she only played hymns and only played classical music. I know she probably has never played any contemporary music. So I put the sheet music up on the piano. And keep in mind, her mother and father were upstairs doing whatever while we were in the practice room. So it's not a real difficult song, unlike some of the other Keith Green songs that he has. But she couldn't get the intro. You can play the song on youtube or spotify it's on there and she says i can't seem to get it right i'm not familiar with the song can i listen to a recording of this and this was before cell phones of course as you know you couldn't just whip out your phone and play it on spotify and the only demonstration i had of this song was the cassette in the car and I kind of hesitated because I thought, well, they hear that song, they're going to know it's not a, <laughs> a hymn or a majesty music or the wilds. But she kept insisting, well, if you want to do this song, I need to hear what it actually sounds like, how the timing goes. So I went into the car and got my cassette tape out. <laughs> Some of you guys are laughing, I'm sure. And they brought out a boom box. And so we put the cassette in there and we start playing it. And most of Keith Green's music was published by Sparrow Records, this particular album anyway. Keith Green always was into 
just piano and singing. He didn't really like all the other instruments that would drown out his signature sound. But it was a Sparrow Records production, and so there was electric guitar on there, and there was a little bit of drums. Not a whole lot of drums, just a little bit. The opening chords started, and it was electric guitar. And all of a sudden, Jennifer's father is flying down the stairs, and he's like, what are you doing? And Jennifer's mother's like, oh, well, she's playing the song that she wants to sing, and... Jennifer's having trouble learning it. And he's like, you are not allowed to have rock music in my house. I was saved out of rock music and you're not allowed to have rock music. I will not have that in my house. So, well, excuse me, but it's not rock music. That's a Keith Green song. He was an evangelist and he preached all over the world. He loves Jesus and that's definitely not rock music. And he's like, well, don't argue with me, young lady. My daughter is not going to play that song. So you better pick another song. And then the mother's like, well, Diana, you know, Jennifer was struggling with the song. And so why don't you pick another song? So again, I did not want to damage my testimony for Christ. I did not want to die on that hill. I did feel that it was unfair that I couldn't sing that song because of that recording of the song. <laughs> it is an excellent song. It's got great, very scriptural lyrics, and you have to make a, a choice. And so the choice I made was to pick another song, and I picked Lord Send Me Anywhere, which Jennifer did know that song, and so we practiced that that afternoon. Yeah, they were extremely... They were extremely conservative in their music choices, and I was in their house, so I had to abide by their wishes. I'm using their daughter to play the song at the conference, so I knew if I would have played the song with the piano at the conference, nobody would have known that was a Keith Green song. Nobody would have known it was a contemporary song. Anyway, the the conference starts and I woke up with a cold and I had a huge problem with my throat because it was very sore. You know, that scratchy throat you get and the plugged up nose you get. So I thought, well, should I cancel the conference? Well, if I cancel singing, then maybe Jennifer's parents would think that I did it out of anger or spite because I was not happy about having my song changed. So I decided to do the songs. I got some nasal spray at the pharmacy and tried to take care of the plug nose. And then I got this numbing spray. I think it was chloroseptic, you know, that red stuff in a spray. Not the breath spray. <laughs> chloroseptic spray. And I, I would spray that on my throat so I did not feel any pain when I sang. I don't recommend doing that <laughs> for, for those of you listening, especially to my vocal students. I don't recommend that. That was probably the wrong thing to do. You're supposed to rest, but people were counting on me and I needed at that time to do this song. And so I survived the song and the conference was very good. So I don't do that anymore. I do not accommodate people's legalistic music choice. I don't really put up with that anymore, being judged for singing a, a contemporary song or a secular song. It's like, okay, I acknowledge that you don't like that kind of music, but I'm not going to be bullied into not singing something ever again. But I didn't really have any problems with the music program after that. In my own church, I didn't. Pastor never ever challenged the songs that I sang. They always liked them. I have thought that they were not going to say anything because they didn't want me to stop singing, but I'll never know that because I never really talked about it with Pastor or Robin for that matter. I'd like to talk about another big event that happened when we were in this church and it was called Give It All Sunday. Now remember this was a poor church of very small in number. 
most of them were on assistance or they were retired. They're no, they were on a fixed income. And I don't know what the personal giving of these folks were. The pastor did preach on tithing. But as you know from the previous episode, Faith Promise Missions. So you have your tithe, which is 10%. And then you have your Faith Promise Missions giving, which is on top of that, which could be any amount between, you know, 5 per five dollars to you know 100 to 200 dollars i think in that church danny and i made the most money and that may be why they never said certain things to us because we gave a lot of money to the church we were tithers we did faith promise missions giving because that's what we felt god wanted us to do and faith promise missions is not in the bible you won't find it Yes, we should support our missionaries, but half the times it's usually guilting your congregation into giving above what you even think you could afford and asking God to have faith that he will provide the rest. And I think that it should be left up to the individual families what God has led them to give. I don't think anybody should be coerced or forced or guilted into giving. But Give It All Sunday was just one wrong past unbiblical for sure there's nowhere in the bible that supports this okay god owns the cattle on a thousand hills yes that's quoted a lot when it comes to giving in the church god does own everything that we have and you know we need to be good stewards of what he's given us he's given us a job or he's given us funds we need to be good stewards of that and use our talents our money our time for the lord i definitely agree with that but give it all sunday was done a few times a year and it just shocked me and the pastor would get up there and tell people to give their entire paycheck to the church yeah these are people that don't have money to go to the doctor or get their teeth fixed or make their basic expenses buy a new set of clothes nothing and I just don't understand where he got that from. Well, everybody should come and pledge their entire paycheck and put it in the offering plate and you trust God to provide for you. No, that's not how it goes. What am I supposed to say to the landlord who lives next door to me? Oh, well, your rent check is in the offering plate. He's going to put me out on the street. He's not going to understand that I was giving my entire paycheck to the church and the landlord is supposed to go without being paid. We didn't have any savings at that time in our life. We lived paycheck to paycheck. God provided us a job. Yes, we were very thankful to have jobs and you know make extra money on the side but i wasn't about to give up my entire paycheck for the church it isn't biblical i really didn't ask to see the books i don't know how he was using the money i like to give him the benefit of the doubt i don't know if he even had a treasurer i don't remember oh yeah there was a treasurer don't remember his name but really nice man he was counting the money but I never really thought that they were misusing the funds. Anyway, he would drown out the service. Like two hours we were in that church, dragging it out until everybody came forward and put the pledge in there that they were going to give their entire paycheck. And folks, that is financial abuse. That is spiritual abuse. Of course, he used the widow's might to support his argument I don't think the widow's mite has anything to do with this. Story of the widow's mite was a widow who didn't have any money. She had two mites. She chose of her own volition to give it to the temple. Nobody forced her. Nobody told her to give it to the temple. That is totally different than a preacher getting up on the pulpit and telling you, oh, well, we're going to have give it all Sunday a few times a year and you're going to give your entire paycheck, give it all to Jesus. You know, it reminded me of the televangelists who get on the TV and ask you to send in your money. 
those poor stay-at-home moms or the widowed folks or people with no money that are vulnerable to that kind of manipulation and tell you, if you would just send your money in, then God's going to bless you. Well, maybe he will bless you, but we also have to be faithful in paying our rent, paying our bills, have a budget. That is something that's important. Need to pay our our landlord or the mortgage company. You need to pay the electric company. They will shut off your electricity if you don't pay them. Their your water, food. Are you going to go to the grocery store and say, "I oh, I can't pay for the groceries because I gave all my money to the church." That's not. That's ridiculous. If you're having trouble making ends meet, if you're budgeting and watching what you spend and not frivolously spending. You can go to the food banks, you can go to the church, and hopefully they'll be able to help you with meals or canned goods, but we sh- shouldn't purposely give our entire earnings to the church. It's not biblical. Some people in my circle don't even believe that the tithe is for the church anymore. They say that the tithe is for the Old Testament, for building the temple and maintaining the temple and the priests that were doing the sacrifices. That's for you to research and decide for yourself. I certainly believe that scripture is clear that we should support our local church. And I do. We need to support our pastor. They need a roof over their heads. They need to feed their children. Uh, I don't believe that they should be living high off the hog and running around and expensive cars on the church's dime but they should be they should have their needs met they shouldn't be hungry they shouldn't be having their electric turned off so yes i'm not saying these things about give it all sunday to say that we shouldn't give to the church we should if you are a member of a church and you receive benefit from that church you should give sacrificially to the church that means you give to the church maybe instead of eating out all the time or instead of buying coffee at starbucks maybe put that towards your giving to your local church and i say you pray about it and you ask the lord what do you want me to give don't let anybody coerce you don't let anybody pressure you into giving a certain amount or giving giving when you don't have the means. Brian's out of work, as you all know. And before Brian lost his job, I mean, we are tithing and it's auto pay out of our paycheck. We send our tithe to our our church. And if you watched Kyle Fox's episode, my pastor, he was on the podcast and he he was talking about our young people and that we are in the middle of a building program where we need to raise extra money towards our building program so we can have a decent building for the kids that's safe and can host multiple activities, accommodate the growth that we foresee that's coming. So here's what I say is when Brian lost his job, I did not stop paying that tithe or what I pledged for the five-year program for the new building for the kids. I prayed to the Lord and Brian and I talked about it and I said, well, we're going to trust the Lord that he's going to provide for us because I don't want to go back on my promise of, well, I pledged to give them a specific amount of money towards the building program. And I believed the Lord was leading us to continue to tithe. And the Lord has provided for us really wonderfully we haven't starved they haven't turned our electric off and and we still have a home to live in thank the lord for that uh but there has been times when and we had just bought this house i mean literally two weeks after we bought the house i lost my job and we could not make ends meet we could not we did not have enough money to pay all of our bills we had to go to food banks to eat at that time of our lives, we had to 
cut our budget as much as we possibly could. And so we decided to stop paying our tithe until I got back to work. And we really didn't tell anybody about it except the church. We explained that we, we cannot meet our bills right now. So I say all that because there's a lot of financial abuse in churches all over the world. It's very common. I'm telling you right now, you ask the Lord yourself what he wants you to give. So that goes into the church building in New Jersey. The church was growing. We had been there about a year and we could not fit everybody comfortably in that little tiny church. And the kids multiplied like rabbits. <laughs> we had more kids than we had adults and they were downstairs in that fellowship hall. <laughs> and it was crazy. So our church decided that they were going to look for a larger building. Now, there wasn't any land to build on, so we had to use an existing building. And so we had gone around and surveyed the four-mile town with the realtor that had helped us get our real home. And they found this abandoned, I think it was a, it was a warehouse of some sort, auto parts warehouse. And nobody had been in there for years. It was, they, somebody just left it. There was stuff everywhere and it needed a lot of repairs. So the treasurer and the realtor and the pastor and myself and Danny all decided that this new building would be our new church building and that the church would be the ones that would get it out and change it to our specific needs. So, of course, if you see where I'm going, there's going to be a building fund project. So now everything is give to the building fund. We had big sales and we had, you know, lemonade stands and we had all kinds of fundraisers to get money to get the church, get that hardware warehouse building out. Everyone was asked to participate. We'll find you something to do, whether you have a skill like in electricity or a skill in building anything. I will have to say that we failed inspection, code inspection, more than once. Pastor wanted it done as cheaply as possible, and he wanted to use church manpower to do it with. And so the first step was having to clean out the church building. Second was to repair everything that was damaged. So it had a two stories. It had the first floor that we were going to have, the Sunday school classrooms, and the main auditorium. And then upstairs was more classrooms and conference rooms we were going to put the children's church up there. So I thought that was pretty funny because usually kids and running around, it's pretty noisy, right? So I was in charge with doing the floors, cleaning the floors and cleaning out. They had a, a safe in there, a big, huge walk-in safe in my part of my job. I was assigned to clean out the safe and get everything out of there. There's a lot of work. So there's new flooring put in and new carpet. And Danny's cousin was a carpet layer. And Danny had the great idea of asking his Catholic cousin to come and lay new carpet in there for at cost of what he pays for the carpet to donate his services to the church for the carpet. So that was good and that was bad for many reasons. Uh, because his cousin had a family to feed and he had other jobs that he had to do. And another thing that came onto the scene was another, another person was added to the staff of the church, which was called Pastor Andy. Pastor Andy went to school with Pastor Jim. And so Pastor Andy brought his wife and two kids, two boys who were preteen. And they were going to be the associate pastors. Our church, again, has grown big enough that it needed, a pastor needed help as an associate pastor. 
So he invited his friend. And Andy had the same mindset that Pastor Jim had. I believe they went to the same school, Hiles Anderson. <laughs> and he was, I think, from the South. Very nice, very nice family. But he wanted things done a certain way. And it was his way or the highway. And he was in charge of all the contractors in the new building, one of which was Danny's cousin. And so his cousin would come over and lay carpet when he had time in between his family and his other jobs, doing it for free, mind you. Got a discount on the carpet and he's doing this for free. And according to Andy, cousin wasn't going fast enough or getting the job done quickly enough. And Danny would get really mad at Pastor Andy and say, hey, you know, you're not paying him. He has to feed his family. So don't go saying anything bad about my cousin because he's doing this for free and he gave you a discount on that carpet. And they were fighting like cats and dogs, those two. It was crazy. It did not go over well. Carpet was finally finished, but I think that Danny's cousin, again, I don't remember his name, did a really great job, but he was mad. I could see it in his face when he was there with his crew and he was mad. He was sorry he ever volunteered to do this church. And I will say this, that if you are a church leader, you need to pay your workers. You need to pay them for their work. Let them choose if they are going to give you a discount. And if they do something for free, don't sit there and complain they're not going fast enough or they're not doing it good enough for your standards. That isn't right. You're just, you know, being abusive. That's abusive behavior. That's very common in the church that the church expects you to do everything for free. Do for Jesus. Well, you know, you have to make a living too. You have to feed your family too. And we don't want to get rich off of working for the church, but we shouldn't always be doing stuff for free. So I was also in charge of, since I was a piano player, me and Phyllis, we were able to choose the new piano. They wanted to have a brand new piano for the new building, which we were very excited for because to be honest, I was sick of playing on a piano that was never, you know, tuned. It sounded awful. So I suggested that we got a digital piano because, you know, with New Jersey being so humid, that takes a piano out of tune. Moving the piano or humidity changing will take the piano out of tune. So I said, why don't we get a digital piano? That way you will never have to tune it. And so Danny knew, of course, all of these people in the music industry, and we could get a piano at a really good price. I think maybe under a thousand bucks. And, you know, the fun thing about a digital piano is that you can change the keys, you can change the tempo, you can change instruments. So if I want organ, I can do organ. If I want piano, a concert pianist sound, then you can change that. You can record what you're playing on the piano. You can put strings in there. So I was in charge of doing that. And we were always working in that building. I went to work, my day job, and then we came, we came in there and worked in that new building on top of everything else, going soul winning. And we were exhausted. Pastor didn't have any concept. They didn't have any concept of balance, work-life balance, resting. Pastor and his wife, again, were married for a long time. And we told them that we wanted to take the night off to have a date or to rest. And the pastor kind of like gave us a hard time that, you know, well, why don't you do what we're doing? We had, we're having a date here at the, at the new church building and 
you know, we're fixing the electrical wires. I'm like, what? That's not a date. Why don't you take your wife out on a real date? They didn't take time to nurture their marriage. Well, I suppose that's none of my business because they were older than we were. We had only been married for a couple years. But, you know, at that stage in the marriage, or Bible college always told us to have a date night. That's what you do. And so I remember that we, we went back to our home church, Pastor Scott's church, for, for a visit. We were visiting um, Danny's parents. And we told Pastor Scott that all the stuff that was going on at the church. And I, we mentioned about the date night. Oh, this pastor doesn't even believe in having date nights. And they, their idea of a date night is going to the church building and working in the church building. And he kind of he kind of scolded us and said, so basically you told this pastor what to do with his marriage. Or I said, yeah, pretty much. He said, no, you, you, you can't do that. He's probably at a different stage of marriage than you are. And so you guys go have a date and you don't butt your nose into their business. So he was our sending pastor. So we did what he said and stopped telling Pastor Jim what to do with his marriage. And Robin had told me they've had a rough marriage. They definitely have improved, especially after they got saved. But it was a lot of a lot of baggage to overcome. So anyway, with the new building, Danny was in charge of doing the sound system and putting up the speakers. So we had a decent sound system, which we didn't have in the old church. We didn't have we didn't have one at all. I don't even remember having a microphone. The building was really small, and Pastor Jim's voice was very big. And Pastor Andy had some friends down in Virginia somewhere. They were getting married, and they needed a sound system for their wedding, for their reception. And Danny offered to let them borrow our sound system. But we had to drive down there to give it to them. So since so Danny volunteered me to go down and deliver the sound system to uh, this couple that was getting married. So now at the time, I had a Honda Civic. I don't remember what time of the year it was. I don't think it was the summer. I think it was the fall. Yeah, it hadn't been snowing yet. It was the fall. And we went to load up the car and load up the sound system. And I have no trouble driving down to Virginia. That was a three-hour drive. So I drove down now. I had a cell phone. This was, what year was it? I, my brain's fried. Anyway, we had a cell phone now. In those days, cell phones were not smartphones. They were just for phone calls, and they were for emergencies only. Danny decided to get one because we were in a dangerous town and he decided to give me the cell phone when I went down to Virginia because I was driving by myself and I told him I'll drive down and drive back up the same day well bad part of it was my car was at least 10 years old and it had a refurbished engine Honda Civic I think and I know what happened because I had you know had two husbands that or mechanics. I blew a rod in the engine. <laughs> That's what they said. So the engine blew up. That's what I would always say. It blew up in Delaware, halfway between. And I got the cell phone out of my purse and I'm trying to get into the phone and it was password protected, of course. You now I put the password in and it didn't work and I couldn't figure out what the password was. I thought, oh man, did he change the password? Oh, well, I could not get that phone on. And back in those days, you couldn't dial 911. Now, cell phones, as long as the phone is charged, it's a federal mandate that you can dial 911 from any phone, whether it's unlocked or not, for emergencies. 
So I'm on the side of the road on the freeway. I think it was Interstate 95. So what am I going to do? I can't get into this phone. Down the road, I saw a construction crew. And I thought, well, I'm by myself. I have no phone. And so I flagged down one of the construction workers. And I said, um, there's something wrong with my engine. And I need to have it towed to the closest garage. And he said, oh, look, down the road in the opposite direction, I see a squad car. I'll flag him down for you. So I was very grateful that there was a policeman. I guess I think it was Highway Patrol. He was going the other way, but he was just sitting there on the side of the road. I think he was maybe a thousand feet down the road. So he went and got off the exit and swung around and came to where I was, and I told him that I couldn't get into my phone. And could you please call a tow truck? And so we called the tow truck, and it was maybe a mile from the freeway, there was a garage, actually a junkyard, and the police officer gave me a ride to the gas station. And I called Danny from the garage, and I said, there's something wrong with the engine, it blew up. I'm in Delaware at a gas station, you need to come and pick me up. And this was Danny's birthday of all times. It was, I think it was the day before his birthday. And so he came down and I think he brought his, one of his mechanic friends, actually the person who rebuilt the, the Honda Civic. And they decided that the engine could not be salvaged it was, it was dead, Jim. <laughs> so they would have to leave the car there. And so they decided we're going to strip the car of parts. Okay, we put everything into all the sound system stuff into the trunk and strip the car of everything valuable that we could strip it because he was just going to sign the, the title over to the junkyard. All I remember was I was very attached to that car because that's the car that I had after I went to school. I had a lot of memories in that car and I got pretty emotional as we were driving away and we left that Honda behind. <laughs> then it wasn't the first time that it happened, nor will it be um, the last. But we got back to our home and we went into the church and everybody, of course, was working in the church. And so Pastor... Andy came up to us and came up to me. He said, so did you deliver the, the sound system to my friends down in Virginia? And I said, no, my car was stranded in Delaware. The engine blew up and the car is at the junkyard in Delaware. I didn't even make it to Virginia. And he got so mad at me. He was like, what do you mean you didn't go down there? They don't have a sound system for their wedding and it's all your fault. And he thought that Danny should have drove the rest of the way to Virginia and delivered that sound system. But, you know, it was his birthday and he was crabby that my car blew up, was not in a good mood. And I wasn't, wasn't in a good mood because we left the car there. And I was mad at him because he apparently had change the password on the phone and I was aggravated that I couldn't get into the phone when I needed it. I said, well, you need to tell me what the password is because there's no point in me carrying one if I don't have a password. So Danny and Andy got into it again. Like, don't you yell at us? You know, we had a really long, hard day and we're just going to have to send the sound system another day. But Pastor Andy was hot-headed and, again, he wanted things done his way. I definitely want to talk about a car that we bought. This car was a focal point in our story. Danny had this Mercury car with a custom stereo in it, and he loved that car. Loved that car, and I think the transmission went on it. I don't remember, but it was time to turn in the car and get another car. And he decided that he wanted 
a sports car, a red sports car. It was a Ford, and and it was a it had a police interception motor in it. Maybe I'm not saying it right, but it was very fast sports car. It was the first time I had ever bought a brand new car. My mother had bought a brand new car when we were kids. Bought this red sports car in an inner city neighborhood with high crime in it. That was kind of stupid, I thought. And Danny loved this car. He would like wash this car and baby this car every day. He was always talking about this car. And as soon as we signed the papers and we now have a car payment on this red sports car, we fought about it all the time because he was always talking about that car and he allowed me to drive it. But we stuck out like a sore thumb in that neighborhood and we were always afraid that it was going to be stolen because everybody around us had junker cars. And the thing about this, this neighborhood, and I told you a little bit about the neighborhood, we were across the street from a bar and it was always like, there was always cop cars there for bar fights and whatever. People were getting pulled over at the bar across the street. And so you had to get up at the crack of dawn and make sure that you moved your car so the street cleaners could come down your street. If you didn't move your car, then you'd get a ticket. So the night before, we would go running around the neighborhood trying to find a place to parallel park this car. And it was just nuts. But Danny was always worried about somebody stealing that car. Maybe I was. But it's just a car. I kept telling him that it's just a car. Maybe he'd like to sleep in the car. Hmm? That was pretty much when we would fight. Yeah, go sleep in the car since you love it so much. But yeah, we fought a lot about the car and it was never stolen. Miraculously, nobody stole it. Nobody ever graffitied it. Nobody ever um, hit it with a hammer. Nothing. But I will say that I got a few speeding tickets with that car. And yes, I have a lead foot. I will admit that. Technically, it wasn't the car's fault. But, but anyhow, because Danny loved this car so much, he hired the two um, the two boys to come over and wash and wax that car. They were all very excited about that, getting to earn some money washing the car. Anyway, enough about the car. Probably one of the best things about living in New Jersey was Danny's grandmother was right around, Danny's grandmother was right on the other side of the bridge. Um, she was very close by. It was literally 10 minute drive to go over the bridge and she was the first exit. So it was really wonderful to, to um, spend time with her. We'd have tea and lunch and sometimes um, her brother would come over, Uncle Mike would come over and her two sisters would come over and we would all hang out and chat, tell stories. This is probably the highlight, the highlight of living in New Jersey. I didn't really like living there, which we will get to. I like to tell the story of how grandma got saved. I went to work that day and then grandma invited me to come over for lunch. And I had a really bad day at work. I don't remember the details of that day at work, but I was in a bad mood and I wasn't feeling up to going over there. But well, I'll go over there and spend some time with her and then come home. But it was just her and me. Nobody else was there. She always put me in a great mood. She's a wonderful lady. And I don't know how we got on the subject of God. I don't remember. I do remember giving her the plan of salvation. I did not have a Bible with me. I know some soul winning and preacher boys out there would probably scold me. You're supposed to have your Bible with you all the time. But I didn't, and she didn't have a Bible at the time. And she said, um, she asked questions about heaven. And I asked her, do you, are you going to heaven? Now she was in her 90s. Okay, so <laughs> not too much of a stretch to think that, you know, you're going to see heaven before me, okay? Unless I get hit by a bus or something. So she asked about heaven, and I said, Grandmom, do you think you're going to heaven? And she said, 
I don't think anybody can know. I just do the best I can. I love God. And I said, you know that in the Bible that you can know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And she said, really? I didn't know that. Are you? How do you know that? And I quoted the verse, 1 John 5, 13. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I said, Grandma, you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. And she was very fascinated by that. And so she asked, well, how? And literally, like I said, I did not have a Bible, but I had those verses memorized. Romans Road, you know, I told her that she was a sinner. The verses about God's gift, salvation is God's gift, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And she knew she was a sinner. And, you know, we did John three sixteen. I knew that one by heart. And, of course, in Romans, it talks about confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believing in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you will be saved, right? And all through this time, I'm shaking. My hands are shaking because I take soul winning very seriously. This is a person I love, and God has opened the door for me to give her the gospel. And I'm scared, and I'm praying and that she would accept the Lord. And I was surprised I could even remember any of those verses. But it was just ripe for the picking. She was so ready. And she had been sick and, you know, been in the hospital a few times and not getting any younger. And it came down to, and she, she said, I would like to ask Jesus to be my savior. Now, she was raised Catholic, very devout Catholic. And I said, well, what we can do is pray right now. So you will have assurance of heaven right now. And... A lot of Baptist missionaries or soul winners, they have you repeat a prayer. Repeat this prayer after me, either on the altar call or when you're soul winning one-on-one with somebody at somebody's door, or if you're invited into their home, you do this. Repeat after me this prayer. Well, Grandma didn't do any of that. She wanted to pray on her own. And she just prayed the sweetest prayer I have ever heard to this day. She meant every word of it. She said, you know, she was a sinner and forgive me of my sin. And I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And please come in my heart and save me. And she was like, please save me, Lord Jesus. Please save me. And I was like crying. And uh, I said, amen. So, yeah, she was, she was saved that day. And there were many people that I led to the Lord when I was at the church that I don't know if they were sincere. They prayed the prayer to get rid of me. I don't know. But I knew that she was saved that day. She went and told people. She told her whole family, and I bought her a big print, huge Bible, the biggest print Bible I could find, and it was like coffee table size book, and she had kidney failure, um, and so she was on dialysis. She would take that Bible to dialysis because she was there for hours, and she had something to read, and it was wonderful. When I would see her at family events, she would tell the family a very Catholic family. Here's my granddaughter who told me all about Jesus and helped me to go to heaven. You know, to this day, that's probably the best story I've ever had of how that was all God. That was not me at all. It was all God. I wasn't even feeling well. I didn't feel like going to grandmom's. I didn't, I didn't start the conversation talking about heaven. She started the conversation. It was it was God. I didn't have a Bible to show her these verses. God miraculously touched her heart and spoke to her heart to get saved. And that was all the Lord. And probably never had that experience again. I'm so very thankful. We'll talk more about Grandmom further on in my story. 
um, she didn't live too much longer. And I was very grateful we had that day together. I'm going to stop the story at this stage. This is a good place to stop and continue on next week with this part of my story in New Jersey. If you don't think it's crazy so far, it's going to get crazy. It's going to get bad. I hope to leave you with something positive today, which is some music to enjoy. So here's some music that I've recorded. So please come back next week. I appreciate you being here on the podcast along the journey with me. So we'll see you next week. God bless you. Bye for now. I close my eyes and I can see a world that's waiting up for me that I call my own. Through the dark, through the door, through where no one's been before, but it feels like home. They can say, they can say it all sounds crazy. They can say, they can say I've lost my mind. I don't care, I don't care if they call me crazy. We can live in a world that we designed. Cause every
Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.